Hey. Hello. How's it going, guys? Good. Good. I miss you guys, man. I wasn't feel like I wasn't here forever. This is the first time I've been on stage for a while, too. It's nice. It's pretty cool. Works out for the better, you know. Curtis isn't here. I have a microphone. I say whatever I want. Right? That's exactly how it works. <laughs> no questions. Sitting, uh, I don't have a joke ready. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, okay, I got one, I got one. <laughs> I just had to think of it. I'm a slow guy. So, okay. <clears throat> so, you guys know the whole Tide Pod eating thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to deter the ladies from eating Tide Pods. But it's really difficult to deter gents. That was a good one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I gotta. Man, I feel like it's been a long time since I spoke. Man, I gotta. I get back into it. I'm a little sweaty. I gotta. Maybe do a warm up. Maybe jump around. Some jumping jacks. Anyway, I'm just gonna jump right into it. I'm gonna stop stalling time. You guys know how I do things. If I get done really fast, I'll just do the whole thing again. Right. Make up some time. So, all right. So, I'm just going to talk about the story so far. We're going uh, through Acts, if you don't already know, uh, hence the Acts on the screen. And we're talking about, we're learning about Paul and his, his mission, his story. Um, so, so far, uh, here's what's been going down within the past, excuse me, past a uh, couple of weeks, right? So, Paul, he's finally, uh, he's on the last leg of his journey to Rome. He stood before the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees in Jerusalem. Um, and then he was transferred to, to stand before the Roman governor in Caesarea, Felix. Felix was the Roman governor at the time. Uh, and Felix really didn't find anything wrong that Paul was doing. No real reason to punish him, so he puts him in prison anyway for two years. Just because. Just he didn't, he didn't want to, uh, he wanted to appease the Jews. So Felix, uh, within those two years, Felix is replaced by a guy named Festus, um, which sounds like a disease, um, who takes an opportunity. Uh, it's weird, man. Um, anyway, Festus, he uh, takes the opportunity to have a, uh, a Jewish leader weigh in on this because Felix put, uh, put Paul in prison to appease the Jews. So Festus thought, okay, well, let's get somebody high up um, to listen to Paul. So he gets King Agrippa. King Agrippa, he comes down uh, and uh, Paul explains himself to this king. In the end, Paul is placed on a ship uh, going to Rome with a whole bunch of other prisoners um, and... Because he had already appealed to Caesar, so he's got to go to Rome now. So safe to say, Paul is almost done with his journey, right? So now we're in the here and now, right? Paul is on this big boat with uh, about 276 other people, both prisoners, uh, people working on the boat alike. Um, there was one guy who was in charge of all of them. His name was Julius. His, he's a, a, a Roman centurion, and he is the big dog. If you guys don't know what a centurion is, centurion, a Roman centurion, 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 um, He's in charge, they're in charge of multiple legions in the Roman military, and each legion has a, a whole bunch of people in it, so he's in charge of a lot of people, just this one guy. Uh, definitely earned his way up there, he's not somebody to mess with, so he's definitely got the um, experience needed to get this ship of 300 people over to Rome. And Julius was kind to Paul, Ju- Julius liked Paul, um, which was good. So um, I actually have a map up here, guys, of the trip. Uh, so just to, I'm going to walk over here and point it out. So they start here is when they get on the boat in, I don't know how to pronounce that. Anyway, uh, and they go over, they tra- follow this little line uh, that was in the water. So they followed it uh, and went to Rome that way. So uh, they're on this boat 
And the whole way to um, right in the center, there's that little island called Crete. Uh, their, their trip to Crete, the island, um, it was difficult. There was a lot of um, winds that were uh, against the ship. I don't know if you guys have ever been on a sail or anything, but you kind of got to go with the wind, right? They didn't have a motor on their boat back in that day. Um, so they, can't, they struggled to get there, and um, they finally get to Crete. Um, and Paul uh, in, um, oh yeah, by the way, if you have your Bible, go to Acts 27, right? I'll give you guys a second to do that. But in verse 10 uh, of Acts 27, uh, Paul gets up and tells all the people on the ship, he says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and even to our own lives. Paul is telling these guys, uh, you know, this is going to kind of suck. You know, there's going to be uh, storms, huge waves, something will happen. It's going to uh, be a difficult trip and we're going to lose stuff and we're going to lose people. But Julius and the captain of the ship decide, eh, let's go anyway. Just, you know, they're going to they're gonna go for it. So soon after, when they leave Crete, you want to get that map back up there again? When they leave Crete, they got this whole gap in the open water that they got to try to uh, cross. And somewhere in there, they have this huge storm. They are going through storms, and the storm is creating giant waves that are you know, bigger than the boat. It's getting onto the boats. It's dragging uh, people around. It could easily throw somebody off the boat. It could easily break the boat. Uh, so they were doing whatever they can to try to... Um, save their own lives. Right? So what do you do in a situation like that? When the, when the waves are bigger than the boat, what do you do? You got to lighten up your boat so your boat could stand higher than the waves. So they start throwing stuff over the overboard. You know, they start throwing supplies, things that they would need. Uh, it even says in verse 19 that they threw the ship's tackle overboard. Uh, if you don't know what a ship's tackle is, it's just basically all the, the basic furniture, you know, beds, cupboards, shelves, things like that. Everything. They were throwing it all out just to make the, the ship a little bit lighter. So they're going through the storm. About two weeks goes by, and in verse 21, uh, Paul says, after they had gone a long time without f- food, Paul stood up for them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, saying, I told you so. Then you would have spared yourselves and this damage and this loss. He says, But now I urge, you, I urge you to keep your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Sounds weird, right? He says, Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your, so keep your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run ground on some island. And if you're like me, you have a hard time understanding what you just read, I'm going to simplify it for you. So Paul told them, Listen, I told you we shouldn't have left Crete. We got we to gotta stay strong. We got to square our shoulders and we got to get through this. Um, an angel that, that God sent, the same God I serve, that I believe in, came down and told me we are all going to be fine. We're, nobody's going to lose a life here, but we're going to lose the boat. What? How does that work? How, how does that work? Everybody will be fine. There's a huge storm. We're going to lose the boat. We'll all live. It's like, a, it's like you know, you're, anybody here ever been in the air? Like up in the air too? Like really high, right? You go, imagine this. Picture this. You're on this plane. You're going through some turbulence. And not even, not even the ship captain, but some random dude on the plane goes, listen, guys, we're going down. All right? We're going to lose the plane, but everybody will be fine. <laughs> it's kind of hard to believe, right? Like, you know, what their, what's their plan? What's the plan? You know? 
there you go. Anyway, back to the story. Yeah, Paul throws his plot twist in there saying, I have faith that God in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run. Where is it? Run aground on some island. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll give you some money afterwards. Just come find me. Anyway, as they were sailing along, uh, going, you know, fighting this, this storm, fighting these waves, they're lowering anchors on different sides of the ship just to try to stabilize it, steer it, whatever they can to try to keep everything good. Um, Paul and some soldiers, they noticed um, a couple of people attempting to escape, trying to get a lifeboat, trying to hop in the lifeboat and get out of there. And Paul turns to the soldiers he was with and says, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. He told them, if these guys leave, we're all going to die. So those soldiers, they came up to the boat. Yeah, chopped off the boat from the, from the little lifeboat from the ship. Lifeboat gone. Everybody stays on the boat. No one's going anywhere. Before, on, before the sun came up, um, Paul, he encouraged everybody to eat. Because they've gone about two weeks uh, without food, and they've um, been you know, exhausted, stressed, and he encourages everybody to eat. Uh, so all 276 people, they ate until their bellies were full. Um, and then they did the only logical thing you do when you are full of food. You throw the rest out. So they threw all the rest of their grain overboard. Um, yeah, that's what they did, man. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, I was just making sure that wasn't something I messed up there. Okay, so all 276 people, uh, all their, they were full. They threw the rest of the grain overboard. And Paul continued to, uh, to let you know, everybody know, like, hey, God came down. He told me, this angel came down from God. He told me that we're all going to be fine. So you will, he, he, uh, to quote Paul, he says, you will not lose a single hair on your head. So nobody's even isn't going to be hurt during this time, during this huge storm. So when day finally broke, um, when day, like daytime finally broke, not when they finally broke, when the sun finally came, when day broke, uh, when the sun came up, um, the ship did exactly what Paul said it would. It crash landed on an island. They lost the boat. Ship going down. So what do people do? They can swim. They hop off the edge and start swimming. Those who can't swim, they're going to grab onto something to float. So the soldiers um, were thinking, listen, like we're in charge of all these prisoners. If any one of them gets away, we're probably going to lose our heads. Right? Back in that day, if you are in charge of a prisoner and that prisoner gets away, you will die because you didn't do your job. Nowadays, if you lose a prisoner, you're just going to get fired. But then it was serious, right? It was much more serious there. So they thought, let's kill off prisoners so nobody gets away. But Julius, if you remember, Julius likes Paul. And he says, no, we're not going to start killing prisoners because if we start killing prisoners, we'll have to kill Paul. I don't want to kill Paul, so we're not killing prisoners. Cool. All right. So what the angel said uh, to Paul earlier is all still happening. Everything is still under, under that control. So everybody swims to this island. Uh, Keegan, if you want to get that uh, map back up there for me. They swim to the island of Malta. It's way over here, this little guy. Uh, those who could swim, swam. Those who couldn't, floated over there. And they encountered some uh, islanders on that island. Um, and this is the part that made me kind of furrow my brow. They, the islanders showed them unusual kindness. This is a, a boat full of prisoners show up at somebody else's home, and the islanders are thinking, eh, let's feed them, let's get them warm, let's give them some shelter, let's help them out, right? I don't know about you guys, but if some, like, prison transport bus broke down in front of my place, and they come knocking on my door like, hey, man, can we eat your food? Can we use your heat? Can we uh, sit on your couch? No! <laughs> no way! You're not coming to my house. I'd slam the door, and I'd call up my dad and say, hey, get the bad man out of here. 
my dad's a scary dude like that. Um, anyway, back to the story. Paul, um, so as islanders are helping these prisoners out uh, and getting them warm and they're building fires for them to, to get around, Paul was helping out uh, with fire and he brought a bundle of wood to put the fire out. <clears throat> as he puts the wood down in the fire, from the heat, a viper comes out, latches up Paul's arm, right? Just bites him. A viper. Hey, crazy, huh? And the islanders, they're freaking out. They're thinking, okay, this dude has got to be a murderer because if he made it off that ship alive, goddess justice doesn't want him to live. So she sent a viper to kill him. So Paul, he takes a snake, he yeets it back into the fire. <laughs> Just like that. That's right. I said yeet. Yeets it back into the fire and uh, nothing happened. He was fine. I don't know if you guys know a whole lot about you know, a snake's venom, but it works quick and... Um, I don't know if it's all venom, but I know a, a, a snake's venom will turn your blood to, like, jello, right? Uh, no, that would suck to watch. Um, anyway, he throws it back in the fire. He's fine, and really cool little piece. I was doing some research. I was curious, you know, if, if historians, researchers, scholars, if they know what kind of snake it was that bit Paul. And um, from a source that I don't remember what it was, uh, they are, people are guessing that it was the um, malt leopard snake is what it was called, also known as a European rattlesnake. They are not poisonous at all. But the islanders knew that they were, so there's no record saying that they were or weren't back in that time. So they think, now this isn't, I can't say this is 100% true, this is just a theory that I thought was pretty cool. They think that as soon as that snake bit Paul, God gave Paul the power to take away the snake's venom, and that's why he was fine. Not only take away his venom, but take away the entire species' venom, right? Because... Because those leopard snakes, they're not poisonous. If that was the leopard snake, in fact, that's the closest thing to it. Um, which is pretty cool, but it sucks for the snakes. Could you imagine, like, that one guy who ruins it for everybody? Right? Now, great. Wait, oh, Paul, now nobody has venom in their teeth, right? There you go. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know what this means, but okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> hold on. Hold, hold. Guys. I ain't done. I still got another like two hours, you guys. All right. Um, all right. Back to the story. Back story. All right. So the Islanders they saw that the the venom from that snake did not affect Paul at all. Uh, so they you know the chief took Paul, brought Paul to his sick dad, and says, "Heal my dad," because they're all thinking he's a god at this point, right? Because he's not affected by the snake's venom, right? So he, Paul heals the chief's dad, and everybody starts bringing their sick. Bringing the people who uh, aren't well, anybody who might have some kind of disability, any kind of sickness or illness at all, bring them to Paul, and Paul heals them all, every single one of them. Pretty cool, huh? So and they're still on the island of Malta, pretty far from Rome. You want to get that slide back up, Keegan, just so I could point at it one time for you guys. So Malta is here where they're at, right? Rome's way up here. They still got all this to get through, but they don't have a ship over here. So Paul, they help, he helps out the entire island, heals their sick, they're so grateful. They continue to take care of them. And in about three, about three months later of them sit, uh, hanging out on the island, the, the people on the island gave the Paul and all the owners and the, um, the sailors, that's the word for it, uh, a new ship and said, take this. And we got it full with everything you need and, you know, get back up to Rome. So they finished their journey to Rome. And what's really cool is Paul, well, I thought it was pretty cool, he's still a prisoner, but he got his own house with one guard to just stand there and guard him. What kind of prisoner gets that, right? Paul does. Because Paul is Paul. Made an entire species of snake non-venomous, right? Anyway, so that's the story. Hopefully that made sense to you guys. Uh, if not, 
I can, anybody? I can say it again. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so the big idea, the big idea tonight is even when life seems chaotic, God is still in control. Because if you remember from the story, there was a huge storm that could easily have flipped that ship over. But God was in control, and he let Paul know that he was in control. And Paul was making everybody else heard what he heard. You know, not everybody believed him. It's kind of hard to believe, right? I don't, know, sometimes, I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes when I feel turbulence on an airplane, I think this is it. We're going down. This is it. Just an example. And, um, and I know, I know, because I was, we're all human, um, we've all had some pretty uh, big storms in our life, for lack of a better term. At right? one point or another, some, sometimes it might be somebody even here tonight who's going something big uh, in their life that they're looking at it and thinking, how the heck is God in control of this? And I just want to give you guys a small personal example. Uh, in my life, believe it or not, I was once in middle school. All right? Once, yeah, all right? Um, yeah, I was, I was in middle school for like a whole two years, seventh and eighth grade. Uh, and like some of you guys in here tonight, I was, I was bullied pretty hard. I was bullied a lot. Uh, kid, uh, wore glasses. Um, yeah, and it, there, was, there was one guy in particular that just didn't even give me a day off. This guy was brutal. Um, bullied me on a daily, uh, daily basis, and this escalated into me just being an angry kid, an angry jerk, and I started getting into fights with a lot of people. My sister's looking at me like, what? I didn't even know this. My sister's a leader here, just so you guys know. Anyway, um, and yeah, I, I continued to, to let it escalate to me fighting with other kids. And guys, I was a Christian kid at the time. I was, I was a believer. I uh, attended church. I attended a youth group. And I was wondering, why the heck is God allowing this to happen? There's no way he's in control if this is happening to me. You know, this is way when. Why is he letting these fights happen? Why is this bully so ruthless? Why can't he just give me a day off? And I tried telling teachers. I tried telling the dean. Nothing was done about it. Um, and I mean, even after the fact, I would still look back at that time and think, you know, there's no way God was in control at that time. No, why would he let something like that happen? Uh, and I, yeah, slowly turned into this angry kid. I, I even became a jerk to some of my, some of my close friends, um, which sucked, man. Nobody likes, nobody like, nobody really liked me. So eighth grade year comes around. Uh, the bully left. He was older. He's up in high school now. And I'm in eighth grade. And I told myself, listen, I was talking to myself. God wasn't in control of time. I'm taking matters into my own hands, and I'm going to be in control this time. And I made sure nobody messed with me. And I made sure everybody knew I was a tough guy nobody messed with. And what did that result in? I became a bully. I became a bully. I became exactly what I didn't, you know, what, what I was trying to avoid the year prior because I'm trying to take matters into my own hands. And, I mean, there's, there, you know, I still continue to fight with people. There's one person that I targeted uh, a lot do you think that worked? No. That doesn't work. I'll tell you right now, man. I've been age for I'll tell you now, it doesn't work. Right? So that went on for the entire eighth grade year. Eighth grade happens, and then I go into ninth grade because that's normally what people do. Um, and there was no click when I got into ninth grade. There was nothing that like snapped me out of it. Like, oh, stop being the bully. Stop being the bully because there were people who were huge around. There were people as big as Cameron. Around. I was still small. I was five, six, and you know, almost 200 pounds up until junior year, and I had a growth spurt. Still 200 pounds, but I had a growth spurt, right? And during this time, I started to, to really understand and know it was just all up in my brain Christ's love of people. And I started, you know, getting embedded in my brain around that same time. 
in high school, and it, um, and I just you know was able to really understand what it meant that he forgave me from the things I did, things I will do. Um, so yeah, freshman sophomore year goes by. I go into my junior year, uh, and I audition for the school musical uh, that was happening at the time. The production the school puts on every other year, biggest production of the of the school. Uh, and they take months to work on this, months of rehearsal, hundreds and hundreds of uh, people um, performing, doing the tech, music, all this stuff. A huge deal. It is a big deal. Um, so I audition. I got cast. It wasn't a big part, but I got cast, right? Uh, and you'll never guess who else was in the cast. This wasn't just, you know, they weren't just in the cast. They were somebody I directly worked with and rehearsed with every single day. If I was at rehearsal, they're at rehearsal. There wasn't one day where we didn't rehearse together. This is a rhetorical question. I'm going to give you the answer later. It was the person I bullied. It was the person, and I, guys, it tore me up, man. I, I bullied them so hard in middle school. I made their eighth grade year a nightmare. It was bad. I made them cry. I watched them cry. I egged it on. It was, I was ready to get hit in the, in the face, and I'd think, fine, yeah, it's cool. Like, I deserved it, right? So the person I bullied, first day working with them, what's the first thing they do? They, I'm, I'm going to say, you don't worry about it. They treated me with kindness. They treated me with respect. They were nice to me. They acted to, toward me, not just the person beside me or around me, but toward me. They acted like nothing ever happened. There was no bad blood between us. That kind of sucked, man. Because here I was. I knew what I did to them. I knew that I was a jerk to them, and I was ready to, to just get chewed up about it by, uh, by them, but... It never happened. They just continued to, to treat me well. And after a few weeks of rehearsal, there was, I remember one particular rainy day um, that I was about to walk home um, from rehearsal. And it was dumping hard. And uh, me and this person, we were coincidentally walking out at the same time, and they offered me a ride home. And um, they lived in the other direction. They offered me a ride home. I thought, sure, I don't want to get soaked in the rain. Um, and on the drive, I, it was tough. I swallowed my pride, and I apologized for how I treated them in middle school. And I told them I was so sorry for how I treated them in middle school. And, you know, I told them I was sorry I made that whole experience for them a nightmare. And this person forgave me. They forgave me for it. It was like, didn't even have to think about it. It just rolled off the tongue like it was natural. After that day, I started seeing more and more of God's hand in my middle school years. I started to really understand. I told you guys, I understood up here what Christ's love meant for me and what his forgiveness meant for me. But all that knowledge started coming down here. And I started to really understand and really feel Jesus loves me no matter what. And he forgives me no matter what. And I saw, you know, I, I realized, not in that moment, it's some time, but I, I started to realize that, yeah, God's hand was in that whole middle school for me, right? I still made the dumb decisions to fight and to be bully. That was all still on me. That was my free will. But God was still in control. He used that experience to, to really push me to, to understand um, not only his, his control in every situation, but his love for me and, you know, why he sent his son to die on the cross because he loved me, right? I mean, heck, even Jesus... If you guys don't know how Jesus Christ was treated when he was, uh, when he was crucified, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was punched, they stuck a spear in his side, they put a crown of thorns on his head to make him bleed. And his last words on this cross were, right before he took his final breath, were, Father, forgive them. He said, Father, forgive them. He still loved all those people that cheered for him to die, who wanted him to die. He 
loved them up until that last moment. And heck, I mean, even when Jesus was still alive, uh, the Pharisees would ask him, try to trick him and say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, he would tell them, you know, trying to, because there's 10 commandments. If you don't know, they're asking him, what's the greatest commandment out of all these 10? He tells them, okay, listen, like, here's the deal. You got to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you got to love people like you love yourself. Jesus even told us we got to love people and he acted it out. And he um, showed them through his actions. Up until the very end, he could have had every right to just come down at that cross, tell those people off, tell them to take a hike and get out. He didn't. So there's a group, uh, some small group questions uh, you guys to go over tonight. The band can start coming back up uh, at this time. Uh, but there's some small group questions I really want you guys to, to talk about tonight. The first question is, um, has there been a time in your life you didn't see God's hand in the situation until after the matter? So just like I did with my middle school experience, um, I didn't see it until after it happened. Is there ever a time? It's okay if there wasn't, but has there been? Question two, it's a two-party, two, two-parter. When is it easiest to see God is in control? And when is it the most difficult? And number three is what steps in your life do you need to take to see that God is in control of even the most chaotic situations? So after the band is finished up here, you guys go in your small groups. Um, sixth graders, you are going with Daniel and Gideon tonight. Um, and yeah, let's get up and worship.